Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Good morning. I'm Kevin Lane. I'm the youth pastor here. I have the honor of sharing from God's Word this morning. Glad you're with us. If you're a guest with us, I want to welcome you especially. I have good news and I have bad news. No, you don't want the bad news first. You want the good news first. Good news, everybody. The, the, uh, the Seahawks are not playing today. So if you're sitting there thinking, boy, when's he going to be done because I want to make sure that I catch the Seahawks game, no worries. The Seahawks are not playing today. They play tomorrow during the elder board meeting, might I add. <laughs> the bad news is the Seahawks play tomorrow night. That means I've got until tomorrow night up here. Okay, were you with me? <clears throat> All right, here we go. <laughs> it's been a busy summer. You had a busy summer? Have you, can you look at your list of projects? Did you get them all done? <laughs> no. Um, I have had a number of projects. Yeah, but you would have projects, you know, in ministry. You have projects in your personal life. Bringing all of these things together is always difficult for us. And then when you throw kids into the mix and, and, and neighbors and outreach and church events, it just, it can get crazy. You've got projects. I had camp. We had the, Susie and I had the Leavenworth trip to bring together. Lots of things to bring together there. I had house repair projects that I was doing, insulating and hanging drywall and, and, and work there that needed to get done before winter. I had those projects going on. I had a few appliance repairs and second visits on the appliance repairs. And yes, honey, I'll get to the third visit because I know it's not working. I'll fix that. <laughs> I had auto repairs. <clears throat> I, I put spark plugs uh, in, in, in an expedition. I mean, how hard can spark plugs be? I remember putting spark plugs in my car, my 1967 Beetle and my 71 Ford pickup, and my, <clears throat> I don't, I'm admitting I had a Pinto. Um, and I remember it wasn't that hard. How hard was that? This is almost impossible. Almost. I got six out of eight. So I'm not done with that project. But then we had relational projects. You know, you've got relational projects. We had two kids getting ready to go to college, and we had to, to get them ready to go out the door and packing and, and the goodbyes and, and getting myself ready for that. And Of course, I was the only one in my house that was struggling, I'm sure, emotionally. Now, don't, don't think this one insensitive, but it's a real project. The really important projects in our lives. Really, we, <clears throat> they're projects. They require work and time and effort. My wife and my relationship is a project. It's a high priority. I, I actually have a task list I assign to my marriage. And it's not a task list that becomes religious, because if it does, suddenly all of the heart of my project goes away. Because my heart is to spend time with my wife, go on date nights with my wife. Invest in my marriage with my wife. Be with my wife. Make our friendship grow and grow and grow. It's a fun project. But it's work. Because there's so many other projects that are coming up and, and, and pinching in and trying to take over. Time for my children. Time for me. I mean, we all like to have a little bit of alone time. That's a project. Time for you. 
We've got so many projects that get going and we have to prioritize and work because I'll tell you, everything I just listed, we have an enemy that would like to see the project unfinished. We have an enemy that would like to maybe erode and take away from the work that we've already laid, the foundations we've placed. It's a project just maintaining the projects, isn't it? Well, I wasn't in here to see how many of you have actually read Nehemiah 3. I hope you have. I have, <laughs> fortunately. <clears throat> I was in the uh, prayer room with Pastor Gary, and we were praying, so I didn't get a chance to see. Pa- or, uh, chapter 3 is is pretty extensive project. It's like the ultimate project management going on right here. So I'd ask you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 3, and as we open God's Word today, we're going to look at this pretty amazing project. And it was undertaken by just... Really, ordinary folks, just like you and me. It's an intimidating project. It's a monumental project. It's an important project. Taken on by people like you and me. It's not an impossible project. It's a serious project. So I'm calling on all of you today. Let's take a look at this this historic example. The people of Israel. Nehemiah. Their heart to finish and complete this project and what it was all about. And apply it to yourself. Hopefully, I'm going to help you have some spots where you're going to be able to look at the passages of Nehemiah and apply them to yourself. I know that in my study through this passage, I did the same thing. And I had a few wow moments. And I wish they were wow moments. Wow moments. Hopefully you're going to be able to examine your own life. Hopefully you're going to be able to examine your own family, your own walk with the Lord from the passages that we're going to look at anchoring in Nehemiah. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. We thank you for this time that we can be together and examine your word and, and let your word examine our hearts. I pray, Father, that you guide this conversation. I'm up front leading, but your spirit really is in the lead. And Father, we ask you to take control of the words on these pages and address them to our hearts and our minds and, and make something change. Impact us, help us to grow, help us to build, and help us to rebuild and repair. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Okay, what we're going to be looking at here is the physical building of Nehemiah's wall and how it serves us as a spiritual reminder in three very important ways. I'm going to spend a little bit of time on the first two important ways and the bulk of the time on the last, the third important way. They are the importance of our spiritual security. That's our first way that we're going to look at. And then we're going to look at the importance of the work and the workers. And lastly, we'll look at the importance of every gate that is for our protection. Okay? The first thing is our spiritual security is extremely important. We worry so much about the physical. What are you worrying about right now? Rhetorical question. It's one you think about, you don't answer out loud. What are you worried about? Did you stop at one thing? I told my daughter that I was preaching and she could, you know, let's check in on me on the, you know, on the web. 
She said, oh, great. So, honey, I'm, I'm talking to you. Yes, we think about you all the time. But Candace and I said, you know what? We have to stop worrying. Because we're praying for her. She's in God's hands. Are we concerned? Of course. I'm worried for my daughter's safety. Oop, I said worried, didn't I? What are you worried about? And think about it now. Is it a physical thing? Or is it a spiritual thing? And when's the last time you worried about a spiritual thing? And if you're having difficulty coming up with an answer to that, you should be worried. Because we worry so much about the physical. And I thought of numerous places in, in Scripture that I could take us where we could just concentrate on this and say, you know, where I could say, Jesus told us not to worry about the physical. I was smiling. The, some of the folks in the choir looked at me because I just couldn't stop smiling as we were singing. One of the things that we sang was a passage that I was going to share. And I said, no, for the interest of time, I'll take that away. I'm not sure if that's where I should go. And then we sing it. There's no such thing as coincidence, right? Wow. We should worry more about the spiritual. Familiar passage to many of us. But you still have to open your Bibles and go to it. I, I know I had you here in Nehemiah. Just put, you know, we're going to come back here. But keep a pencil or piece of paper there. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6. And I want you to turn there with me. There's a whole lot of things that Paul says to the Ephesian church about their behavior. The things that they do. He talks a lot about some of the physical aspects of this spiritual relationship we have with the Lord. And then he sums it up right here in verse 10 of chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. His mighty power. Not yours. Not your parents. Not your pastors. Not your churches. Not your neighbors. Not the, uh, um, not the peer group that you belong to in the congregation. To get you through it. Oh, we're we're here. We're part of the we're part of the equation. Finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. I could preach an entire sermon on this one verse. Oh, verse eleven. Put on the full armor of God so that you can t- you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the, when the day of evil, and I, I point this out to all of my students, it doesn't say if, it doesn't say should the day of evil. When the day of evil, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand firm. And what does Paul give us then? A list of spiritual armor. Not physical. Spiritual. Go ahead and turn back to Ephesians, or, uh, um, Nehemiah. So that first important thing is that we worry too much about the physical and not enough about the spiritual. Okay? The second important thing is the work and the workers. If we were to read the entire chapter of Nehemiah, chapter 3, which we're not, and I said to Pastor Gary, how is it 
that Pastor Jim seems to always give me the really long Hebrew names that have multiple pronunciations among the most of them. You know, what is this? And Pastor Gary gave me some advice that was uh, like along the lines of, as we get to this passage, I'd like you to contemplate it, read it silently to yourself. <laughs> Something like that. It was along those lines. This is quite a, a passage. And I'm not copping out. But I'm saying to you, I want you to read it. And I want you to go through and I want you to circle the people. Let's hold on a second. How many is that now? Two or three? Sirens? Father God, I just pray that you be with uh, that whole situation. I ask you to um, keep safety on the roads for our emergency crews. And whatever it is that they're arriving to, Father, I just pray that uh, lives would be secure and safe. I pray that you would guide them and be with them. And for whatever it is that they find, Father, I pray uh, your hand would be upon it. That uh, we don't know the situation, but you do. And that you would uh, be glorified through it. And uh, just pray you pray these things in your son's name. Amen. <clears throat> Let's see. There is an extensive list of people in Nehemiah chapter 3. Look at them and how they came together. Look at their occupations. Look at what they did. These were just people like you and me, but, but they, were, they were named here. I want you to go through and I want you to circle them because you're going to see a pretty extensive list. I'll tell you some of the things on the list. You need to find them and you need to circle them and draw them together and what these people did. You're going to see lists of priests, nobles, goldsmiths, district governors, perfume makers, Levites, temple servants, merchants, men, and women. A lot of individual effort went into this. People are named. And a team effort was required. Sometimes this spiritual importance is that we put aside ourselves for the sake of the team. It's a project. It's a hard project. Putting aside myself for the sake of the Candace and Kevin team. I'm called upon in Scripture to die to myself for the sake of the team. But, but not for her preferences, but for his principles. This team effort, um, this team effort spills into the how we do ministry, you know. And and anything I'm saying right now about the youth program could be just as easily applied to the the the, the CE or the the young ch the children's ministries or or the choir or or any and every ministry in this church. Several sub teams, one team. The the youth program doesn't try to go around and above parents. We're trying to be part of the team. The youth program of our church, team works with other churches. That's where we get Northwest Grace Youth Camp and the winter retreats and, and uh, things that happen with our, our national conference right here. We were teaming with other churches in our fellowship across the country. And it required give and take. 
of preferences as we came together to work for his principles. This team effort is required among our church. This church family. I'm the youth pastor. You'd think that I think the youth ministry is the most important ministry in this church. It's not. Let's see. I, don't, I haven't said this enough this year, so I don't expect a response, but it's said in my house. And so I'm going to call on someone from my house to answer the question. And now it's down to two. It's not a one in four chance. It's a one in two chance. All right. I picked on Rory enough. Saren, I'd like you to stand up. It's a test. Ready? Saren, who is the most important person in our house? Everyone, thanks, son. Everyone except me. Who is the most important person in your church? Everyone except me. Nehemiah assemble a t- said, let's assemble a team. They came together. Who is the most important person building this wall? We've got priests, goldsmiths, merchants, perfume makers, expensive people, perhaps. Men of authority, women of authority, people with, with I mean, respectability. Who's the most important person building this part of the wall? Not me. Here's a stone. Here's a stone. Hold on. We have to get into God's Word. Let's go to Nehemiah verses 4 and 5. Chapter 3. 4 and 5. Here we go. Verse 4. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabel, (laughs) made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Baana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Somebody didn't hear the principle of the Lane House. That's not the principle of the Lane House. It's the principle of Scripture. Who's the most important person on this wall? Everybody else but me. Why? Now the importance of spiritual walls and guarding the gates. The repair of the walls was extremely important. I mean, what good is a city on a hill shining light for the world to see, but unguarded and unprotected? Vulnerable from an attack from the enemy. I mean, it's a special city and all, but it's not living up to what it's been called to be. I've asked Cliff to to put the temple up there, or the, uh, the wall building, so we can see the gates. He's going to move it around. I'm not going to refer to it. It's just up there for you guys to, to get a look at it as we walk through these gates. The best offense is a good... Oh, you've heard that one. A city is defined by its walls. What defines you? Are they your preferences? Or are they his principles? What defines your family? I use this one a lot. I don't even know if this slogan is going on anymore. Must see TV? The Word of God. Family night. In uh, junior high rock group, we're studying the Ten Commandments. And as we're studying them, I said to the kids, 
And I asked the question, do you think that God's rules are there to kill our fun? And as the discussion rolls along, I paint an illustration for them that, that, that God's law and God's rules, and I know that Paul addresses it later, and we're going to get to that with them. Paul addresses what the law was. But as we're in the commandments, it's like God has laid fence posts. And he has, he has hemmed this great big area. It's a great big area. And if we look at God's law as keeping us in, it becomes a very small area. But when we realize God's principles are to give us the greatest playground we've ever dreamed of, where we have freedom to run and joy and celebrate grace in the center, to be alive in Him, the walls are there to protect us and to keep the enemy out. They're not designed to trap us, but to give us freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from, from death. So let's look at the work now of the gates, because the walls are there to be unmoving and solid and strong, but it's the gates. It's through a gates that a city exchanges with the surrounding culture. It's through the gates that what flourishes and grows and is wonderful within the city, leaves and goes out into the surrounding community. You hope, if you've got a good city, that what's in there is going to make an impact on the surrounding countryside. It's through the gates that the surrounding countryside comes to your city and hits a checkpoint. It's at the gates that your city can fall. Not from the outside, but from the, within the, in, from the inside, out. Nehemiah knew that the people who lived in his surrounding area, well, they weren't necessarily favorable to his city. <clears throat> but he was going to have exchange with them and not isolation. A city with only walls and no gates is an island, and it makes very little light. A city with unsecured gates is at risk of being overrun and destroyed. The gates are vital and their integrity is key to the city being vibrant and living. Chapter 3, verse 1. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and built the sheep gate. They dedicated, and dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Hananel. We start with the sheep gate. And as we go through the gates, we're going to do it as Nehemiah did, and we'll see that we go in a counterclockwise progression around the chart up there. <coughs> Pardon me. The priests themselves oversaw this. Now, the priests oversaw this. They weren't just on the team. And so this implies some severe, real importance. This is an important gate. As a matter of fact, it's the only gate that... Um, it, our, our NIV doesn't translate it this way. The, it is a sanctified gate. It is made holy. It is set, a, set apart. It's a special, special gate. It's a prayed-over gate. It's a consecrated gate. The sheep's gate is extremely holy, and the priests know that this. we need to dedicate ourselves to this gate. It's also the gate that's rebuilt, not repaired. There's a whole lot I could talk about. 
and that and, and as an object lesson. Because you see, this is the same gate that later on in Jesus' ministry, after he had healed the blind man, that he was standing close by as he was preaching in John chapter 10. Write a note in, in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. Write a note for yourself. John 10, 1 through 10. Okay? John 10, 1 through 10. I'm going to read verses 7 through 10. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I have come that they may have life and, may, and have it to the full. Just picture it. The crowds are around Jesus, and he's standing there talking about, I am the gate for the sheep, and they can look over at the sheep's gate. And they know, well, this is the gate that the priests bring the sacrifices for the temple. You think some of them sat and thought, hey, wait, 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 wait. John, John the baptizer, didn't he say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Jesus said, I am. I am the gate. I am the consecrated, set-apart, holy, holy gate. This begs a really important question. This is the first gate that's shared, and it's the first gate that I'm sharing with you. And we have to stop everything, because we're talking about important spiritual stuff. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Because this is it. Sanctified, made holy. You cross through that gate. You become His. Read the rest of John, what I read, verses 1 through. Read it on your own time. Read it. You're his. You belong to him. You're his. This is the one gate the enemy doesn't get through. This is God's. If you know Jesus, you're never going back. Verse 3. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They, built, they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. I'll let you know right now, most of the verses we're going to read are going to be as simple as that. So you've got to dig in and say, okay, so tell me about the fish gate. This is possibly the gate that the fish went through that were brought to market. So I have a question. This is the gate maybe of sustenance. Where do you feed yourself? What do you allow to pass through the gate? Integrity with your body. Integrity with your mind. Integrity with your spirit. These three are interconnected. What do you feed yourself in livelihood? Do you have integrity in the workplace? Do you have integrity with your coworkers? What about your entertainment? What do you feed yourself? What about your priorities? What do you feed yourself? Stay right where you are. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Watch the gates. 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There's a connection there to the sheep gate, too, if you think about it. Then we have verse 6. Nehemiah 6. 3.6. The Jeshana gate was repaired by Joida, son of Pasiah, and Meshulam, son of Besodiah. Besodiah. <laughs> they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. The Jeshana gate is also called the Old Gate. It was one of the original gates in David's city. Do your traditions belong to God? Is your spiritual life rooted in rock-solid principles? Or are they rooted in sand-washed preferences? On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground. Coincidence? I think not. Why do we do what we do? Why do you do what you do with your family? Because you've always done it that way? Do you make spiritual decisions based on biblical principles? Or do you, do, do you make your spiritual decisions because we've always done it that way? The valley gate. This is through which Nehemiah arrived and departed in chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. This is the gate that he came to inspect and look, and he, it was through there he arrived, and it was through there he exited to go look at the repairs that needed to be taking place. It's important for us to inspect the spiritual walls of our life. Always. Nehemiah walked through that gate and took a walk around, looking for any weak spots. Do you suffer from spiritual lethargy? Weak spot. When is the last time you assessed the spiritual safety of your home? Do you have a spiritual blind spot? Nehemiah took somebody with him to assess the damage. Take someone with you that you trust to assess your walls. Gentlemen who are married, listen to your wives. Ladies who are married, listen and submit to your husband's leading. Listen to godly advice. Allow God to make those repairs. Verse 14. The dung gate was repaired by Malkaliah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarem. The dung gate. This is where the trash was removed from the city. It went out these gates. And it went, went down to the Valley of Hinnom. In Jesus' day, New Testament times, well, they would... I'm stuck. They would, um, just as they did in the Old Testament times, would take all the trash down and they would burn it. In Jesus' day, it had a name and it was called Gehenna. Jesus likened hell... To Gehenna, a stench of burning refuse. Are you cleaning out the garbage? Are you getting it out of your life? There's a gate for this. And it's a one-way gate. Because you don't bring the trash in that gate. It goes out. 
Anybody have a project this summer where you were like cleaning out the house? We did. How hard was it to get rid of some things? Oh, oh, we're going to use this someday. Reminder, you said that 15 years ago. Someday still coming, honey. <laughs> Let it go. Paul said in Philippians 3, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. That I, may be gain, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the rules, the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes by God and is by faith. Faith. I am, I am the gate, He said. Faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 15. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalon, son of Kal Hose, ruler of the district of Mizpah. He rebuilt it, roofing it over and putting its doors and bolts and bars in place. He also repaired the wall of the pool of Salom where the king's, by the king's garden as far as the steps going down to the city of David. Interesting, this is, this is the same region of the pool of Siloam is where in John 9, Jesus healed the blind man. I just think it's great how God uses things like this to continue to share his message when he, when he was on earth. It was near here that the pools that filled the, 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 that they had water basins, they were refreshed and restored. It was here that the water was collected for times of siege, for times of drought. This gate tells me that that I need to protect myself at times of spiritual dryness and spiritual drought. I need to store up for myself and be on guard and protecting it. Nothing's going to come in and wipe out my spiritual supply. Do you invest in a spiritual reserve? How? How's your prayer life? I have one of these, only one, in my Bible. I wish I had more of them. These are the uh, little slips that we gave out for our high school and junior high students. And we've asked them to be involved because we know that many of you want to be involved in the prayer ministry with them. I have this one. One of the students asked me, would you be a prayer partner for me? Absolutely. And on it, there are prayer requests. And then at the bottom, there are friends who need Jesus so that I'm praying for these friends and I'm praying for this person so that the, this young person live a spiritually guarded life, a wise, in God's word life, and I'm praying for their unsafe friends. And in turn, he's praying for me. I have one of them. I wish I had 50 plus. But you know, it's really hard for a guy like me. There's a project for us. How about if we started praying for each other more regularly? Made a, I mean, Please don't understand. I, can, I, I, just, I just looked over and saw Pastor Jim sitting there and he's not actually there. He looked at me and went, don't forget, oh, I know there's prayer warriors in this church. I know it. But somewhere, somewhere, somehow, I don't know how, but there's a disconnect sometimes between our prayer warriors and our congregation with people who are like, I, I need help, I need someone praying for me. 
let's bring this together. Let's be praying. How's your prayer life? Are you praying for yourself, your children, your wife, your future spouse, your kids, your grandkids, the youth, me? Are we refreshing this spiritual reserve? The water gate is mentioned more often than any of the other gates. This gate appears not to have been in need of repair. I find this interesting. This gate appeared not to be in need of repair. Got that? It was by this gate that the people were brought and they opened God's word. It seems to have in Scripture and in the history with Israel a close, close relationship and relevance to God's word. This one didn't need repair. <laughs> so it was here that they would open God's word and read it. It was here that they would celebrate. This is where the Feast of Tabernacles was reinstated. At this gate. God's word and celebration of being one of his children. Nobody can live without water. Nobody can grow in their spiritual walk without God's word. To grow spiritual fruit, you need spiritual water. The horse gate. This is the one through which the horses were taken. Possibly for watering them. Possibly for war, warfare. Possibly for defense of the city. Defending the city. Defending the city is important. Why? We've already seen Ephesians 6. Verse 29, the east gate. Next to him, Zadok, son of Immer, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him, Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, the guard at the east gate, made repairs. This one's fun for me. This one's a fun gate. Because we're not sure if it's the outer wall or if, we're, or if it's a temple gate. We're really not sure. A century earlier, Ezekiel records that God's glory returned to the temple through this gate. For Israel, this gate, because it faced east, the rising sun, it was through this gate they expected their Messiah. They said, when he enters, he will come through this gate. If you stand in this gate and look out of the city, you look out onto the Mount of Olives. On Palm Sunday... It was through that gate that the Lord came telling his disciples to go in and prepare for the Last Supper. Hosanna, Hosanna, through that gate. Verse 31. Next to him, Malchiah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the temple, uh, house of the temple servants and the merchants opposite the inspection gate and as far as the room above the corner and between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. This is the gate where people were numbered and mustered and registered for the temple tax. This is where they made ready, so to speak, for, for church and for worship. Temple. An inventory was made here. Perhaps we should all make a spiritual inventory. Where do I stand? Where am I? How am I doing? Uh, we just recently took communion. Paul tells us 
Therefore, whoever eats of the bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. I do this thing I'm gonna, that about every five years, or I look at my life every year and I think back five years. Where have I come? What have I accomplished? Am I growing? Inventory. And as I concluded that verse, where does it bring us? Right back to the sheep gate. It's mentioned again. It begins with it. It ends with it. The beginning, the ending, the Alpha, Omega. The Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God. Do you know Jesus? The physical building of Nehemiah's wall serves as a spiritual reminder to us in three ways. The importance of spiritual security. Why worry about the physical? We have the spiritual to worry about. The importance of the work and the workers requires individual effort. It requires a team effort. The importance of every gate for our protection. Check the walls. Work on the different gates. Do you know Jesus? Because none of this matters if you don't know Jesus. God created us to be with Him. Scripture says that our sins separate us from God. Scripture says that sins cannot be paid for with good works or good deeds. There's nothing we can do to earn favor with God. But paying the price for our sin, Jesus died and went to the cross. And He conquered death and rose again. He paid the price. Everyone. Everyone who trusts in the Lord. Everyone who trusts in that gift. Everyone who trusts in God can have the gift of eternal life. And life that's eternal doesn't start when you die. Life that's eternal starts the moment you accept the Lord as your Savior. I have come that you may have life and life to the full. The thief comes to steal and rob. Do you know Jesus? If you don't know Jesus, I'd love to speak with you afterwards. Father God, I thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. It is indeed a gift. I thank you for your word. It is indeed a gift. I thank you for the reminders from your word of how they sharpen us, how they change us, how they speak to us, and how they are to guide us. But Father, we know they mean nothing if we don't know. I thank you for the gift of your, of your Son who willingly went to the cross and paid for my sins and everyone in this room and everyone in this world. Turn our hearts with each breath back to you. Let us shore up the gates. and Let us be that city shining. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you in your Son's name. For all of us, is that something that we open from God's Word? One of those gates, maybe more than one of those gates, spoke to you. 
and you realized that action is needed. It spoke to me. Father God, we thank you for this day. Again, we thank you for your word. As we leave here today, keep your word burning in our hearts and on our minds so that our hands and our feet and our hearts can be changed to serve you and to love you and to grow in you in all things. We praise you, Father. Amen.